shore and here are big, huge, you know, 16, 17 inch tracks coming out of the water. And so already we're like, what in the, you know what I mean? You're just shocked. And so we followed them. There was a footprint in front of the tree trunk and then one behind the tree trunk. And you could even see evidence of the tree bent, you know, it was bent forward. You're listening to the Cryptid Creatures Podcast with Todd and Brian. If you've had an encounter and want to be on the show, email us at info at cryptidcreatures.co. This is the Cryptic Creatures Podcast. I am Brian, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Todd. What's going on, buddy? Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. Brian, as you know, we have a great guest on the show tonight. Huge guest. Bringing on the famous Doug Highcheck, producer of Monster Quest. Creator of one of my favorite shows ever. Yes. Monster Quest. And many other things, too. He, he's got his hand in all oh, this yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. He's a very busy man. So I'm really excited to bring him on tonight. Don't want to waste any more time. I say we just get him on here and we start talking to him. Yeah, man. Let's get him. Okay. Hey, Doug. Hello. How you doing? Doing good. Like your background. It's pretty cool. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, so where are you guys in? What state are you in? We are in Indiana, northern Indiana. Northern Indiana, north central Indiana. Cool. Are there any Bigfoots there? Supposedly there's some around here. We've heard there's many. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, yeah. You know, we're, we're not far from the Michigan line, so there's a lot of activity going on up there, as I'm yep. sure you know. So I have not spent a whole lot of time in Indiana. You're not missing much. Uh, you're not missing much. <laughs> I've driven through there. <laughs> So you're in, uh, are you in Minnesota? Yeah, we're we, yeah, in here in uh, north of Minneapolis, about 20 miles, I suppose. Okay. Is so that where you're from originally? or? Yeah, I've been here my whole life. Okay. Yeah, damn Midwest. Long, hard winters and um, not much to do in the wintertime. Me busy building junk and doing stuff. I've got a great workshop and that, uh, that seems to occupy most of my time. I noticed you were into electric bikes. Is that what you're doing right now? Yeah. Yeah, I do a lot of that. Um, I build bikes that have cameras mounted front and rear. So you can, you just turn your e-bike on. And my bikes have a true transmission. So you've actually got seven speeds that give you more torque or more speed, whatever you want. So if you have to climb a big hill, you've got plenty of power. But what's unique about them is the camera system. You know, so behind you and in front of you, it's recording um, color during the day in high def or infrared at night. Wow. Cool. Yeah, so it's kind of cool. Build one right now for Todd Neese. Are you really? Oh, yeah. yeah. He said he wanted the coolest e-bike in the whole world. I said, well, you're getting it. <laughs> yeah, we talked to Todd a couple times, actually, on our show already. He's a, oh. he's a great guy. Yeah. Um, yeah he, uh, he's excited to get his bike, but he's like, take your time, take your time. <laughs> Right. We're gonna have it done for him this week. Well, Doug, we appreciate you coming on and talking to us, man. It's a privilege to have you on. Yes, it is. 
Well, it's uh, my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So where do we want to go? What do you guys want to talk about, well, man? I'm game for anything. I don't want to bore you too much with the same old, same old that you've probably talked about, but uh, we know you're most famous for uh, the producer of Monster Quest, among many other things. Uh, I guess my first question to you is, what, what kind of got you into that? How did you get started doing that? Well, I mean, I started out just as a normal, everyday wildlife researcher, um, wildlife photojournalist. I was filming a lot of animals, um, which is super, literally obsessed with it, hanging out with biologists. Um, and then I ended up with an outdoor show that I was producing for uh, Ron Shera, who's still, the show is still in the air. That's been 40 years, which is cool. Um, and then I was up on a shoot for Ron. And all of a sudden, we, we stopped it literally just to go to the bathroom, take a pee break. So it was that pee break that changed my life. And not only my life, a lot of people's, because just so happens we pull up on the shore and hear our big, huge, um, you know, 16, 17-inch tracks coming out of the water, which is interesting because if you can, if you can imagine like the Caribbean, some of the oceans, how they're shallow and and sandy and beautiful. It's just like that up in the Arctic. So we pulled up on the sand escorts, kind of an island made of a, basically a sand dune. And um, so the footprints were crystal clear coming out of the water. And I would imagine it swam or walked from another island that was nearby. And so already we're like, what in the, you know what I mean? You're just shocked at what you're looking oh, yeah. at. And so we followed them up to the, there was pea gravel. It turned into pea gravel. They were just even deeper in the pea gravel, which was weird. And then <clears throat> there was a small stand of black, stunted black spruce trees. And so what we did is we, we followed them up there. And where it was my life-changing moment was when there was a footprint in front of the tree trunk and then one behind the tree trunk meaning it stepped over the tree. Okay. So we're talking about a seven to eight foot tree. <laughs> and it, it clearly stepped over that tree. And you could even see evidence of the tree bent, you know, it was bent forward. Um, and that's when the people I was with, including the one guy, he goes, we need to leave now. <laughs> Once he agreed with me that that whatever it was stepped over the, stepped over the trunk. And so, um, I just basically came home and I was obsessed. Something, you know, real made those tracks. It had, it had toes. I already had done a lot of bear research. I knew they weren't polar bear tracks or double step, step uh, grizzly tracks. And we were really um, not in a polar bear area. We were too far inland away from, you know, big bodies of water like um, the Hudson Bay. If you look at a map and find um, Uranium City is the best place to let you know where I saw those things. You go to Uranium City, then you go north um, east from Uranium City, and you find a lake called, it's pretty, it's probably one of the bigger lakes, Selwyn with an S. And um, it was a six and a half hour floatplane ride to go from, I think we based out of, might have been Great Slave Lake or Great, yeah, I think it was Great Bear or Great Slave that we flew out of. And it was a six-hour flight from there. Um, so we were talking in the middle of nowhere, you know, I mean, literally up in, there's even, there's not even any natives. All the natives have even left a long time ago from that area. 
Um, so it's just nobody up there. And so I came back, got a hold of Matt Moneymaker. Um, he was one of the first people I got a hold of. And Matt was just filling me in on, you know, that these things exist all over, including all over Canada. Northwest Territories, Alaska, and I went, ooh, cool, okay. So um, we became friends after that because I had an interest in doing a, a TV show to tell the world, you know, just basically to share what, you know, um, any knowledge that Matt had, any knowledge that we could get from scientists. And so we started um, pitching a show called Legend Meet Science. Right. And as you know, there's a book by the same name that Jeff wrote based on the dock, Dr. Jeff did. Um, and it was a hard sell. I mean, it took forever. And finally, Discovery Channel said, we'll do it. And then I set out to shoot that show on 35 millimeter film. If you can imagine how long ago that was. So that was <laughs> film. <Right>. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's scary. It's just scary. I think about doing that stuff nowadays <clears throat> because, you know, you go to a faraway place to shoot. You don't know whether you actually have anything until you get it in the soup. You get home, mm -hmm. you get it in the, the chemicals in the soup and get it developed. And then you pray and then you look at, you oh, know, we got, you know what I mean? So, um, but then I, I did that. Um, and I, that was pretty groundbreaking because it was the first science documentary ever done on the topic. I started learning more um, and realized I wanted to do more. So we started pitching a show called Mysterious Encounters. Have you guys ever heard of that show? I think so. I have yeah. heard of that one. It was on the Outdoor Life Network. It was a big hit. Mm -hmm. It was the first Bigfoot series on just Bigfoot. It's a regular weekly series. And if you watch it, if you go back and look at Mysterious Encounters, you'll go, holy crap, that's just like the, some of these other shows. So I patterned it with a lot of science, a lot of tech, a lot of gear. We had drones. We had helium balloons with thermal, you know, on a gimbal with thermal uh, thermal cameras mounted, $100,000 thermal cameras at that time. Huh. Um, we had, um, like I said, early drones, stuff you just you, know, you wouldn't even think of. Most people had never even heard of. We had IR cameras. No one had ever seen IR back then on television. It just really hadn't been on TV yet, you know, with the, um, the green, you know, the green IR. And so that aired, broke all records on that network, but then they decided to go into rodeo and just cover live rodeo events. So the show got canceled. And then I started pitching um, a show on Giganto the Real, called the Giganto the Real King Kong. But for two years, I just called it Giganto. Couldn't sell it. Nobody wanted it. And one day I, I added on the words, the real King Kong, sold it in one day to a network. Actually, actually to NBC, which was interesting. And then they, and eventually it got approved by all the divisions, even all the divisions in Europe to do this big, huge um, uh, show, science show on Gigantopithecus and Bigfoot. And then it got vetoed at the last minute by the current president of NBC. I mean, you talk about heartbreaking, thinking you're going to yeah, have no a time television special on Bigfoot, on broadcast. And so we were really pumped. Um, and then, it, but, you know, the rug got yanked away. And then they said, we'll take it to history because apparently they own part of History Channel. And so we brought it to history. And, of course, the, I think they had to take it. 
And that became, oh, then the Giganto aired, and I produced it. It aired, shattered all the records at History Channel. And it, it shows you um, that if you produce a non-corny show on a subject that had been kind of corny, you know, um, they'll watch it. People will watch it. Right. They called me the next morning and said, man, we, you know, this show just shattered our old records of our highest rated show. Can you do more of these? And of course, you know what I said instantly <laughs> was yes. Then we negotiated out um, right away. I mean, literally, I was in my car running to Kinko's, signing documents and contracts, and it was nuts. And so then Monster Quest was born. Cool. Well, that's, that's, that's awesome. Okay. But I, <clears throat> I had a number of little things happen when, you know, when I was young. I was deer hunting one time. Um, God, I'm trying to think how old I was. I probably was like 19, 20. Deer hunting, get to my deer stand before it's um, sun, sun had risen. It's dark. And all of a sudden I smell this horrible gag and I'm covering my face. And I remember thinking, God, that's just like a rotten, dead, you know, a dead person. It was that bad. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden there was chest beating. And I knew it wasn't grouse because I had been grouse. I mean, I knew it was not a grouse. I mean, literally, I could feel my body shake from the chest beating. Wow. And it went away. Suddenly, it just went away as quick as it started. I went back to our meeting spot because I was up there with all my cousins and my uncle. Every single person had the exact same story. And we were a quarter hmm. apart on stands. That's kind of an interesting um, situation. Right. Of course, you didn't see anything, but you just, you know, what do you attribute it to? It was actually one of my cousins said, dude, we all had a run-in with Bigfoot or something, you know, because of the smell. Mm -hmm. um, and that was about it. I mean, until, you know, I started really getting into mysterious encounters, had a few things happen, never saw anything. And then during Monster Quest, um, yeah, you know, numerous things happened with um, – the like Snellgrove, the Snellgrove incident. Yeah, that was kind of interesting. So, can you still catch the uh, mysterious encounters or the Giganto? Is it on YouTube somebody, or anywhere out there to watch? Yes, yeah, somebody posted it on YouTube. Okay, some, <laughs> so it's just a pirated. The, and they I don't even think they did all thirteen of them. But yeah, yeah, if you check it out, mysterious encounters uh, on YouTube. It had Autumn Williams was the main character. In show matt moneymaker was in it you you won't even recognize him he's a kid damn near uh -huh. in it um uh bobo ended up in it um no kidding <laughs> yeah and they're all just you know skinny kids it's interesting awesome so that so there's where they got their their start i remember telling my agent after um mysterious encounters got canceled i'm like why don't you pitch this to animal planet Oh, they would never be interested in that. There'd be no interest. And now what they were in there, what, 14 years? Yeah. So my agent called me one day and he said, yeah, you were probably right. <laughs> <laughs> we should have pitched it. Well, man, yeah. before I forget, I want to thank you for all the great content you have put out there for us to see and watch. Uh, I really, yeah, no I really enjoy Monster Quest. I watch it over and over all the time. That's all cool. the time. That's yeah. cool. You did great work yeah. on that. So of all the people you have worked with, you know, the moneymaker and Bobo and, and probably yeah. Cliff and, uh, yeah. and Jeff oh, yeah. Meldrum, who, who's your favorite person to get on, uh, to work with in the, in the field? Oh, I don't know. They were all actually fantastic. Everybody was. Um, everybody has their own unique qualities. 
Um, I was always really thankful to get Jeff involved in, in um, Legend Science. He was also heavily involved in Mysterious Encounters. Um, and it was great that uh, Jeff came out with the book, the companion book. And just so you know, Legend Science 2 book will be coming out. I mean, there will be a Legend Science 2 doc. I'm taking my sweet old time. Uh, COVID obviously delayed everything quite a bit. Yeah. But I'm still taking my sweet time because as every, um, seems like every month I've waited, more stuff just keeps, there keeps being more breakthroughs, more science breakthroughs that most of the public is not aware of. We'll have about 24 new categories of evidence. Wow. And people are like, well, how is that possible? Oh, it's possible. I mean, I've got 24 new categories that people haven't even thought of yet. New categories. No, you're not new talking categories. hair samples and stuff like that. You're talking something new, completely different. Well, new categories, but okay, you, okay, we all know it's been done with hair, right? DNA, yeah. mitochondrial DNA keeps coming back mm-hmm. for everybody. Yeah. Um, that's been pretty much it. And then the morphology of the tapered end, the nomadella. Um, but generally, there, that's been it. But we've got a number of new categories of forensics that have never been done on a Bigfoot hair, as an example. So, yeah, no, I can't do, I, I can't come up with 25 new body parts. <laughs> new, you know what I mean? But right, there's, right. like, for instance, there is some new brand new categories like the sebum. I don't know if you've seen some of this, the one sheets I've put out on the sebum, um, a Bigfoot sebum, oh. skin oil. Okay. Well, this this is this is probably one of the most important topics we could talk about because I really feel that this is going to solve the whole mystery, and here's why: it's 3D evidence. They have they seem to have a very thick, almost um, waxy, stickier. It's a, a, a lighter color. You know, ours is more clear. Theirs got a, a lot of waxes in it. Which would make sense if you're living outside, right? Yeah. If kind you of need, waterproofing. Right. If you need protection mm-hmm. from the sun, from the weather, um, you're going to probably more, more likely um, going to need extra UV protection, um, protection from insects, protection from poison plant, poisonous plants such as poison ivy. I can go on and on. Okay. So when you yeah. start thinking about that, you go, oh, ding, ding, ding. For years, I've been looking at these fingerprints that I always thought were just dusty fingerprints on windshields, house windows. I see face prints, and they're always this lighter color. I mean, every time, very consistently. If you go online, just type in Bigfoot fingerprints, you're going to see whiter, you know, a lot of whitish fingerprints. One day, we did a test on on some area that I'm working with. And um, I asked the gentleman, I said, you know, this thing keeps taking the bait or avoiding our camera. Why don't you take the batteries out and just leave the camera on the ground for a few days? So he did. Well, he goes to get it three days later, and the whole camera is covered with big white fingerprints. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But then when he told me something, this is when my, my bells went off, he goes, and they don't even smear. I said, what do you mean? He goes, uh, it's almost like they're permanent. I went, what do you mean? Well, then I looked up what kind of plastic the camera was made out of, and it's styrene. Well, styrene is very reactive with acid 
um, uh, something called um, volatile organic compounds. Uh, turpent- we all heard of turpentine. We've cleaned right. beaches. Mm-hmm. That's a natural volcan- uh, volatile organic compound. It's, it melts styrene. Even turpentine does. Um, tree sap has it's flammable. It's got uh, volatile organic compounds in it. VOCs. So I knew something was there. Was some VOCs in that in those dermals because it had etched right into the plastic. Interesting, right? Oh yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so now you, I can see your guys' brains are going off. Oh yeah. So okay. So what if you were to put sheets of styrene out in the forest? black styrene or whatever. You can buy it cheap at Menards or, you know, whatever your big box store is, hobby, you know, hobby store. Um, but you can put styrene out. You can maybe put some apples around it. The one thing that will happen is that styrene will get touched. The reason it gets touched is just a theory. But think about it. Do they ever get a chance to touch smooth things in the forest? Probably Not pretty like and I would imagine they're very tactile. You know, they like to touch. I've got a little nephew that loves to touch. You know, he'll touch the carpet. He'll touch the couch. He wants to feel everything. Mm-hmm. Well, that's just a human nature. You know, it's something we all like to do if you're a primate. And I would imagine they just like the smoothness. They like to touch. Why are they touching everybody's windshields? Car windows. It's just mm-hmm. thing on a car. Even car doors and nice clean paint. They seem to cannot resist touching, which means now you can repeat this experiment over and over and over. But here's where it gets good. This is when it gets really good. So not only can you get the latent details, which are, you know, the fingerprints, the whoops, the whirls, the scars, the size. You get all this amazing detail, sweat pores. Their sebum is so conductive for getting every sweat pore even. And that kind of down to that kind of detail. So now, so you've got that evidence, which you can photograph it up close, get really good photographs, blah, blah, blah. Don't ignore it anymore. Photograph, 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 photograph. Cannot take enough photographs. Take video. Then get yourself some Q-tips, clean Q-tips, you know, know, new pack, preferably brand new pack so it hasn't been contaminated. Put a mask on so you don't breathe all over this thing and get your own germs all over it. Take a Q-tip and start swabbing it. Get a, get a good swab of it. Put it in a paper envelope. Then take another Q-tip and get a good bunch of the sticky crap because there's two more kinds of evidence in the sebum. One's a full chemical analysis. Every primate has an exact type of sebum. Your sebum um, is different than a chimp or an orangutan. Orangutans and chimps are different. Gorillas are different than chimps or orangutans. Um, there's already been all the scientific studies already done. They're already charted out exactly. Like, for instance, um, uh, you know, we'll have triglycerides in our sebum. A gorilla has none. We'll have cholesterol in our sebum, our skin oil. They don't have any. But chimps do. So everybody's got their own unique chemical signature. So all we have to do now is get the chemical signature of a Bigfoot, be able to repeat this over and over. And I'm telling you, we're having luck every week repeating this. We are. But people all over the country can do this. Scientists can do this. It's so much easier than getting a sighting or trying to get film, right? 
that's right. that's been proven to be really tough. But to get them to touch something is like it's like the easiest thing ever. So easy. It's freaky if you're actually in the area where there's activity, they will touch that material and they will leave you some of the most beautiful prints you've ever seen. Then to top it all off the cherry on the on the on the Sunday, there's sloughed off skin cells. Tons of them in the sebum. So now you can get full nuclear DNA, not mitochondrial, which keeps coming back, you know, um, based on, 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 on the female, which always comes out human. But a full nuclear genome can be taken. So you've got now 3D evidence. Nowhere has there ever been 3D. It's been 2D evidence, like uh, Patterson and, and Bob Gimlin ended up getting 2D evidence. They filmed Patty, and then they got the footprints cast. That's mm -hmm. 2D. Well, this is 3D, and I think it'll push science over the edge. Have you guys taken samples of these uh, handprints, fingerprints, whatever, the sebum, you call it, from, from different locations and compared yeah. those things? Well, we haven't done the scientific analysis yet, but I've got the labs lined up ready to do it. So I'm just, I'm just kind of like, I'm so excited about it, I don't want to mess it up. Uh, yeah. I'm that excited about it. And I'm that optimistic about that. What we what what we've got here is maybe something that can tip the scales, that at least enough for the other scientists to go, oh, maybe there is something here. I can go now repeat this test on my own for five bucks, <laughs> and I can repeat it every week. Well, I can collect DNA. I can collect chemical analysis and I can collect latent details and none of them can be faked absolutely none of those so there yeah. you go and really cool if you could have a camera trap there and film you know the whole thing if you could come up with a clever enough camera trap which I'm working on that we're dealing with little 3.6 millimeter cameras now and at some point the perfect storm is going to happen again yeah oh yeah and no, you're the anyway. man to do it well, I don't need, you know, it isn't really me. All these samples come from people I'm dealing with, people just like yourself that go, oh, I'm working in an area. And I think, you know, and they'll follow my instructions to put out the traps or to do whatever. And the other thing we're doing is you can actually attach even some Velcro, the, um, the barbed side up, little Velcro pieces on the plexiglass. And guess what that does? It snags their hair. So they're mm -hmm. touching it. Meanwhile, their arm hair is getting snagged in that Velcro. And so oh. you're, you're getting the sebum and you're getting the hair. That's awesome. It's okay. insane. Yeah, it's their curiosity. You know, their curiosity is going to make them come up and check stuff out. Um, set yeah, something out in the middle of nowhere where maybe they're at. Maybe they'll. That's their weak spot. They're obviously, these things operate on fear. There's no doubt. They're, they're like black bears. Black bears also operate. So how they survived all these, you know, the short-faced bear is gone. You know, they went extinct because they didn't operate on fear. The black bear is afraid of its own shadow. And so they, um, they, they do what they can to avoid people, to avoid confrontation. And they, they, for the most part, as we all know, they run. You know, they see you, they, they, they bolt the other direction. They'll climb a tree, whatever. Um, I think... Bigfoots are very similar that way. They're very um, skittish. I think they get busted. 
And I think in most of the times when they get busted and they're seen, I think there's a juvenile involved that's just <laughs> out of sight. And I think you're being led away like a killed deer, you know, okay. killed deer with its nest. That's Makes sense. kind of my feelings. Um, yeah. It's just, you know, the, the more I'm doing this for more and more years, I'm seeing this pattern over and over again. Even if you look at the Freeman footage, you see that big distended stomach. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people will say, well, that Freeman footage is hoax. No, I, I can tell you it's not. Um, you'll notice it's got a big stomach. Well, I've got, there's another section of the tape. A lot, most people haven't seen it, but I've got that same creature lifting a baby up. And that the baby's wrapping its legs around the waist. Paul didn't even know about that. So when you couple the footage of the thing with the big pot belly, which is probably postpartum, or it's pregnant again, mm. just to lead Paul once again away from its young. I never thought which, about that. Maybe yeah. that's, maybe that's mm. what they're doing when when you have encounters. Maybe they're or <clears throat> they say they parallel you away from somewhere. Uh, maybe they're you know. Pretty good environment. Their family or their ones, yeah, which would make sense. I mean, you do the same thing. What do you think about the Independence Day footage or the July Fourth footage? You know, it's what I'm talking about. Not the. I know about the Memorial Day. The Independence Day is okay. Explain that one. It's the one where the female supposedly stands up. This guy's looking kind of like at rock formations, and she stands up behind a rock, and she's carrying a baby in her front. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Sure, sure, sure. What do you think about that? Legit um, or no? CGI, CGI. It's animation. Uh Yeah, I hate to say it, but that's what it is. I I truly thought it would could be real. I don't think it was someone in a costume. But uh, no, no, you say that that makes sense too. No, it's not a costume. If you, if you look, you'll see the telltale jitter, the CGI jitter. Plus, anytime you have no context in the beginning, hardly, and there's certainly no context at the end, there's no audio. Um, there's a lot of red flags. And I have a three-flag three rule. So if, if a footage um, pops up three red flags, I'm done. I'm done, done looking at it. I'm not going to waste any more time because – there's no scientific value there. If I give it to a scientist, he's going to find the same three red flags. And then usually I'll find a fourth and a fifth. That one's got four, five, six red flags. Okay. Well, wow. I, I literally, when you have six red flags, I always put it in the category of no chance of being real. <laughs> no chance. So, yeah. hey, I'm sure you've seen the Russian footage. Is it the Russian footage where it shows the, the Bigfoot running along the... Uh, Yep. The forest line, yeah. and the guy says, oh, we're going to put this on YouTube during the video. You know what I'm talking about there? Is it the one where it runs from screen right to screen left, and yeah. there's a couple of children there and a dog in the? Yep, that's I, the one. I believe Are you talking about the one where it's in the snow? There's there's a number of Russian, and then there's yeah. another one. Um, it's the one where at the end he kind of like jumps, and you can see his arm span kind of come out like he's leaping down onto a. Yep, I've got a lot of opinions on that one. Okay. Um, it's not a costume. I see no evidence of CGI. None. And that's all I can say about it until I get a hold of the original. So I, have reach, I have reached out to them to try to get that original. They haven't had any luck. Oh, wow, that'd be cool. So it does have some red flags, and that is, who's the owner? And, and but I can only give it two red flags, but I don't see any evidence of CGI, which is really interesting. 
None. Like there's no evidence. And the fact that the musculature and the arm, the wingspan, you know, as it as it does that big leap, it's so natural too. Mm-hmm. And the thing is so um, uh, pobbled over when it goes from right to left is really interesting to me. Yeah, I thought that. So too. that's all I can tell you. Two red flags. That's it. Okay. Well, that's good. Interesting. Two red, two red flags, but not three. <laughs> I got to ask, what was your favorite Monster Quest episode, if you had one? Um, the one that was done. Edited. Um, I don't know. You know, I don't think I really had any favorites. I obviously liked this, the Snow Grove one because I was involved in that one so heavily. I was one of the victims. Um, in fact, I was the first victim of it when we weren't doing a show. Um. But I think the giant squid one, I'm you know certainly very proud of that because that has now, there's yeah. a two-hour special in, in the History Vault that they did air in primetime here, I think it was last year, where they have confirmed that was the first Architeuthis ducks ever filmed in the world. That's what I read, that you, uh, you were responsible for filming that. Um, yeah. And also, you were responsible for filming the first birth of a uh, wild black bear yes, in the correct. wild. Yep. So that's awesome. Yep. Wow, yeah, great accomplishments. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Plus, plus, yeah. we documented, which was probably blind luck, but we we spent two years trying to get a camera in a wild beaver lodge right on the Canadian border. Two years. In fact, it was funny because I had Matt with me one year, and I made him dig two into that beaver lodge till his feet were frozen. Because <laughs> we took, we would take turns trying to chisel into this beaver lodge, so I'd go up every other weekend and just chisel away at this thing. Because you couldn't do it in the summer. Um, but beaver lodges are full of mud and, you know, sticks. And then, of course, you had the 20 below zero. And it had to be done in the wintertime. So I would just go up every other weekend. We'd chisel away. Finally, we broke through. And I had a camera, cool camera system rig. So the beavers wouldn't um, dam it off. Because if they sense any air leak, they just cover your camera up like right away. It just gets covered. But I wanted to document the whole the whole winter of these beavers. Well, the first thing we saw was a muskrat come in. And we're like, oh, damn it. There's no beavers in here. It's just muskrats. And then all of a sudden a beaver came in. And then all of a sudden we saw the muskrats grooming the beavers. What? Grooming all their fur. And we're like, Whoa, okay, that's a scientific <laughs> discovery. The natives always talked about the muskrats and the and the beavers, the relationships, and legends and lore about it. But no one had ever looked inside a wild beaver lodge ever. It's the first huh. had ever been seen. And here were the muskrats. So we're watching this behavior every day. We're watching the muskrats do all the bedding. They did all the bedding, never touched any of the walls of the side as water levels rise and fall, which they do even in the wintertime, um, you know, in ponds and whatnot. Um, but the muskrats would even find bugs and parasites in their fur and eat them and feed on them. And, and it was so amazing to watch. Sometimes for an hour, they would groom these beavers every inch of them like little slaves. Huh. I thought, God, this is so cool. Anyhow, there's a scientific paper being written on that too now. It's the first That's awesome. ever documented cohabitating. 
See, we, we, we don't even know what's going on with our own wildlife that we're aware of, let alone exactly. Bigfoot. So, yeah, no kidding. I mean, <laughs> that, that's crazy. You know? That's what's shocking to me more than anything is that people like um, us, researchers, really feel like, well, there's nothing else to discover in the world because scientists oh. have done everything. That is such BS. Uh-huh. There is so much stuff to discover out there and so much to learn. I always think of Bigfoot researchers as the smartest people on this planet because, one, they're willing to take their own money and their own time, their own resources, and do, do basically the best science they know how to do. And I'm like, did they need a whole lot more credit than they've been given. Oh, yeah. the other people go, oh, they're a bunch of amateurs. I don't know what they're doing. It doesn't matter. These people are freaking working with their own money and their own time. I mean, thousands of hours in many cases, trying to get answers on a mystery. That is what I call true science. That is the true scientist. Yeah, yeah and they're passionate about it. They're not people that are bought off by a pharmaceutical company. No. It's going to you know give them the results they want. They're just doing it out of pure love and passion. For anybody listening that's a Bigfoot researcher, consider yourself a one percenter. That's, I mean, that's the way I feel. And I think at some point that credit's going to come to them. Yeah, we hope so. We're, we're yeah. waiting. Yeah. <laughs> I hope it does. Yeah. And trying ourselves. So it'll, it'll happen for you guys. You're young. <laughs> it'll, it'll definitely happen to you guys. Yeah, you'll, you'll see it. I'm going to work. I'm going to do whatever I can. I hope so, Doug. At least springboard it to the next level. And you do realize right now, um, every Thursday, every other Thursday, tons of scientists meet about this subject. Are you aware of that? No. Not You're not? Now. Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to be in those meetings. Um, oh, man. I'd love to be a fly on the wall there. That is happening right now. Wow. I'm talking, I think it, it could be as high as almost 60 now. So you guys are working on getting it done then. Well, the collectively, one, it proves that th- they're interested. They know it's worthy of study. But the problem is they have jobs. Reputation. They have to meet with us secretly. Uh-huh. But the reason they're meeting with us because they know there's merit to all this. They know some of them even had sightings. And they want answers. But wow. still, they still can't give up their day job. You know, so they still have to remain anonymous. But the fact that all this knowledge is at least being kicked around and pulled together, and it's quite interesting. Oh, I was going to mention one thing, one of them here. Yeah, I think everybody will find this interesting because it was new to me. and It was new information I'd never heard. It came out of one of these meetings, and I was doing a presentation of the um, the, the, the sebum. <clears throat> and by the way, um, Shelly Covington, Montana, we were talking one day, and I say, hey, why don't you name this stuff? So she came up with uh, Sasquatch Alba Vernix. And Alba just means white. Vernix is that waxy um, coating that we're all born with. When we're born, we're covered hmm. with thick, waxy stuff. It's very much like that. Okay. It's very protective. So anyhow, um, so we were in this meeting. I was doing a presentation on this um, Alba Vernix which is scientifically called surface skin lipid. So that's the scientific name, or SSLs, if you want to get real fancy. Um, and, you know, I just call it sebum or the albivernix. But one of the p- 
people, that scientist, happened to be also a, a zookeeper. He's a biologist. He's a zookeeper. And all of a sudden, his lights went off because he, he deals with gorillas. And it was like every light bulb went off in his head. He goes, oh, I've got something interesting to share. And he tells us about this sticky white coating that happens on occasion on the gorilla windows, and they can't get it off. And I went, oh, ding, 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 ding. And he said something else. One day, I was with all these male gorillas. There were like three or four male gorillas, and they were all agitated. And he said there was white, this white thick stuff bubbling out from under their armpits. I mean, this is unknown stuff to science at this point, right? And the only reason this is coming out is because we're, we're communicating Bigfoot to gorillas with a gorilla, a biologist. And he had seen this, and he just kind of blew it off. He had no idea. He said it was actually bubbling out of their armpits. Wow. So that means, is that the source of the Bigfoot stuff, too? That it originates at their armpits, so it is skin sebum, but maybe it's also a body excretion that comes, and they're rubbing it on themselves. They're rubbing it on their hands. God, we don't know. No. But it's that type of communication that happens every other Thursday that causes these little breakthroughs. And it's right. really wow. So sometimes people wouldn't think talking about something like that would help prove the existence, but you never know what could spring up from from doing this thing and being no. more detailed in that. And if Bigfoot researchers can just spend more time on Z, we have Zoom now. You can get twenty people, thirty people on a Zoom call. You guys all need to just start networking and set up a meeting. Even if researchers you don't agree with, set up meetings and just do presentations, exchange notes, because there's going to be these light bulb moments that are going to happen. It's just going to happen. So when you commute, sometimes you might have to talk for an hour and a half and all of a sudden there's this amazing light bulb moment that happens. And so that's what I really encourage people to start you know, organizing Zooming with even strangers that you don't even know. Say, hey, we really wanted to, you know, start organizing um, discussions about Bigfoot. Even if if we don't agree, that's even it's better because we're just going to all respect it. We're just going to talk about what we know or what we've seen and what we've witnessed and share this information for the fact that we may end up putting two pieces of unknown knowledge together, like like the example I just gave you, it's two pieces of unknown knowledge. Nobody in the world knew about this white, white bubbly stuff coming out of gorilla's armpits. First I heard about it. Yeah. Exactly. You know, you're not going to read it anywhere. You're going to hear it yeah. here. And that's it. Um, and, and, and the dots that I had connected, then we're connecting all those dots together. So now it becomes even more interesting because it makes sense. White, white, can't get it off, can't get it off. Oh, now we have a, we have an, another another cool connection. So, uh -huh. yeah, I've heard or seen encounters or whatnot. Probably something that you produced on TV, where people have had uh, handprints on their windshields or on their vehicles, and no matter how hard they try, uh, we've talked and interviewed people. Same thing; they've had prints on their yeah, vehicles. That's because they can't get it off. I brought this up two years ago. Yeah, and they can't get it off. So, unless uh, no, there there could be. There was there were there were two ladies that I've recently met that actually noticed this a long time ago before I ever brought it up. And they were talking to some people. They just didn't put all the dots together. So when they read my one sheet here, literally just a week ago, 
they got a hold of me and we we've had you know telephone conversations so it's been really interesting yeah so i've met a yeah. number of um cases we also have full face prints the white same kind of stuff except full face prints and we've not only photographed and did all that and collected everything scientifically but we've also lifted the print so we've preserved it cool so that can be forensically put back together again. Man. What are your thoughts about the paranormal side of things with Bigfoot? Do you, do you believe in any of that? You think Open-minded. I'm open-minded. I, who am I to, you know, I'm humble about it. Who am I to say? I've had a few weird things happen, but I'm not going to jump to a conclusion and go, well, that weird thing for sure was because of, of right. this. You know, I've seen, um, uh, I've been up like up in the Arctic, um, um, by you know, up by Snell, the subarctic, and seen um, orbs up there, really low orbs that are just over the treetops. And then we've had Bigfoot experiences up there. Well, are they connected? Well, who the hell am I to say they're connected? Right. You know, one could just be earth lights that are just generated by force. And it could be just because earth lights are formed in the same area as Bigfoot likes. So you can't really make the jump, but I'm open-minded. You know, I mean, there was a time we were, we felt like we were all by a campfire, but bum rushed. We could feel the ground shaking. It, it sounded like an elephant was charging us. I mean, literally, the ground was just. And we all bolted because we all thought we were going to plow over by an elephant. And we bolted, all of us. We never even communicated. We just bolted out of survival. And then all of a sudden, we recovered from the bolting. And like, we didn't see anything. And we're all talking. And it's like, well, why did you bolt? Well, because the ground was shaking. Was, I could hear the weeds, you know, parting and the bushes parting. And it's not like something was going to be on us in about two seconds. We all had the same thing, but we, none of us saw anything. So it was kind of weird. You know, it was like, it's like it was invisible. Was that the Snell Grove incident? No, 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 no. No, that happened, in a, you know, down here. Okay. Down here in my neck of the woods. Um, and I have areas within four miles. There's tons of Bigfoot sightings. I was going to say where you're I at. I believe it up there, yeah. Uh, you probably got some dogman action going on too. What's your thoughts on dogman? The nearest dogman sighting is about 40 miles away, and there's been a number of them over in the St. Croix Valley area around Afton. And don't know. I haven't seen one. I, I don't know, but I tell you, there's a lot of compelling <clears throat> anecdotal witnesses, anecdotal stories. There was one that was where there was a biologist recounting. A story. A trained biologist who had an encounter. He claimed he even shot it, put a bullet in it. And wow. um, definitely not lying. You know, he, he believes everything he's telling. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know. I mean, is it misidentification of a Bigfoot? Is it a different Bigfoot species? Is it some paranormal creature from another dimension? Um, who the heck knows? Are people lying? I doubt it. What in the world do you have to gain? That's that's what we've always said, too. Yeah, 99% of the people have nothing to gain by telling mm -hmm. any stories. That's why only 1% of the stories are even told. Yeah. Because nobody, you have everything to lose, nothing to gain. Nothing. Yeah, yeah a lot of people are embarrassed. Even We just talked to a lady a couple of nights ago, a, a great dogman encounter, actually. We'll put it out on our show here eventually. Yeah. But, uh, you know. 
she was, we knew she was telling the truth. She was, she was so nervous, uh, you know, just, just by, by listening to her. Uh, yeah, she had to tell, stop and collect herself a yeah, couple times. You know, so terrifying. I mean, why, why would she have to make it up? You know, she's not gaining anything by coming on our show. She didn't really want to know people to know who she was. No. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if really, um, if you think about all of the, I always tell people there's 8,500 documented written sightings. There's at least another two thousand by podcast. Cool. In many ways, in many ways, the podcasters are documenting these sightings better than a written because you you get to you get to meet the witness, you get to hear their inflection, you get to you know hear the all the details. What I think podcasters should do is I think we should all be writing these down, and at least having our own file of every sighting written down with a reference and a brief description because at some point it needs the podcast sightings need to be added to the database into the database map. I agree. Okay. And there's people like, can do that. Yeah. Like Scott Tompkins is the uh, Bigfoot mapping project. Um, there's, there's a guy in England that's doing an incredible job um, with, you know, doing GIS information. These guys are running out of data to enter. They would love it if they could say, oh, Brian, can you turn over all of your sightings that you've, you know, and and you should always ask people, did you make a written report? If they say no, then it's really valuable because you can add another dot to the map. Yeah. Study corridor travel to study, you know, where the waterways, where these things, seasonal information. Um, It's just fascinating. You know, it's really fascinating. So we need to start documenting as podcasters all these sightings. Well, we've got all the episodes yeah, backed up and recorded, so we're good to go yeah, with that exactly. stuff. Exactly. Yeah, we'd be happy to join that join that yeah. effort for sure. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's, it's important. Um, the reason it's important because now there's people willing with there's technology enough to do stuff with this data. And yeah, 2,000 sightings, that's still a lot of sightings. There could be more, actually. I'm just guessing. When I say podcasters have documented 2,000 sightings, maybe it's 5,000, maybe it's 10. I don't really know. I'm just, I'm kind of guessing. When Brian and I first started the podcast, one of our concerns was, you know, getting enough people to come on the show and talk to us. Right. And now we realize that it's not a problem finding people. And on top of that, the people we're finding, I've never heard another podcast before. I've never heard their stories before. These are new stories coming to us. Uh, And we're just one podcast out there doing this. So it's amazing how many people, you know, and a lot of these are are recent, recent sightings and encounters that, that are just happening that we're hearing too. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, there's a huge service being done um, when you when you bring these people on. But just remember what you're doing is important. You know, it's more important than just the entertainment value. It's actually you're collecting data. So definitely you want to get, make sure you somehow, even if it's off, off the record and you have to write it because I don't want to go public with the exact location, you should try to get the exact location. You okay. Know? Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we we actually we're doing that a little bit, or we have we've been asking people trying to figure out where it's at. We always like to try to identify where they're at on the map and look for you know the close the closest set of woods, or is there a big patch of woods there? Is there is there a, uh, you know a refuge there? What's going on? There's some commonalities yeah. and that mm-hmm. kind of thing too. Yeah. You know, do you, have you guys noticed that there's 
Um, I, I'm just, I don't know. I don't know what your answer is going to be, but have you noticed there's more and more sightings near a gas station down the road or suburbia, you know, a mile or two? Yes. Because the, the amount of game, game animals that are living in uh, amongst the suburbs or suburban areas are incredible. I, I mean, I'm, I'm an old bastard and I can tell you, I remember when I was young, we never saw anything. We never saw a wild turkey, never saw a fox. I lived in the woods, never saw a bear, never saw um, a crane, never saw an eagle, never saw a hawk, never saw a duck, never saw a goose. There was nothing. In Minnesota? No, it's all over the whole country. You guys aren't old enough to even remember. At one point, there was no game management. Everything was Everything could be shot. And... It was just everything was just wiped out, literally. Mm. Game bears didn't have a big game status. So bears were they were decimated. In Minnesota, yeah, maybe there were three hundred wow. animals. Now we have forty thousand black bears. Um, big difference between a few hundred and forty thousand. Oh yeah, there were no Canadian geese even. They were gone. They were decimated, and now they're like um, rats with wings. Right, uh-huh. they can stay gone. But I, you know, I actually know the guy that knows the guy that rediscovered him up in Canada again. Tell him thanks. Exactly. <laughs> Pardon my French. Pooping all over Shitting my yard. All over the golf courses yeah, everywhere. Oh, everywhere. Yeah, the rats with wings. No. Yep. But that gives you an idea of what we're dealing with now compared to the old days. Right. I can't go on a bike ride without running into a herd of deer, seeing a fox, thirty rabbits. Coyotes, wild turkeys, sandhill cranes, hawks, eagles, pheasants, grouse. And that's just on a little 30-minute bike ride. And you can only imagine why there would be Bigfoots punching into our neighborhood, not our neighborhoods, but in these corridors, these wildlife corridors that exist. But you'll find where you have activities where there's a power line cut that cuts into that wildlife corridor or a stream, or a creek. There's always some reason they're there, you know. Uh, and so that's what I like. I love studying these corridors and, and searching out witnesses. Sometimes I have to go knock on doors. And, oh, my God, you'd be surprised. You know, you just like literally, wait. we'll just go up and just start knocking on doors and, and say, yeah, this might sound weird, but. And you start asking these homeowners, and they're like, yeah, our house gets beat on about every May. Huh. terrifying and yeah we've had sightings you know and they don't tell anybody they just think that people will think they're nuts right. because there's a gas station down the road yeah. <laughs> bigfoot, bigfoot only has to occur in the wilderness not anymore <laughs> no and it's um i find uh stick structures you know two three miles from my house wow. and they'll be like gone the next day rebuilt the next day moved some of them are 80 foot tall these are not being built by kids you know these are one ton logs um i've actually found some the next day they're gone and then they'll be back again a week later <laughs> totally amazing something with great strength is doing those and i don't even know why no i don't even have any theories but you know those are not children those are not cub scouts hauling in 1000 pound logs 
and putting them up, you know, or leaning on right. doing whatever they're doing with them. And we find <laughs> complex teepees that are made of thousands of sticks, peeled bark, um, interwoven fulcrum design, which is really complex. Frank Lloyd Wright all the way in the way they're, they're being designed. Super interesting. And you know, hunters aren't yeah. doing that stuff either. You know? No, no. There's no honey allowed in the area. don't have the time. Yeah, there's no honey allowed where I, where I do stuff. If you go to areas where there's no honey, no dogs, dogs got to be on leashes, and no access at night, those are, I love those areas because they'll always, almost always produce activity in the evening, you know, at two, three in the morning um, because they know there's no people allowed in there. You know, they never see a person at night. And so it's, you know, a 500,000 acre wildlife preserve where there's no hunting, no dogs allowed, and no camping. And at night, um, you go in there and you have immediate activity because they're like, what in the hell are you doing in here? Mm-hmm. And it was funny, too, because I, I get booted out all the time by, like, game wardens and <laughs> sheriffs. And I usually then strike up a conversation with them, like, tell me about tell me about your encounters. Mm-hmm. They'll be quiet for a little while, and they'll think. It's like, dude, I'm not going to tell anybody. Okay, well, I was here last week. I was checking out a stolen car that somebody had stashed in here, and I had a log thrown at me at 2 in the morning. Okay. And they're like, I don't wow. know what it was, but it sure made me think. Yeah. Those, those are the kind of stories you'll get. Right. Yeah. Tell us about uh, your untold radio. Oh, geez. Um, I don't know. Just a, another wannabe podcast. <laughs> um, we're... Um, and I'm not used to whistling in the dark, as they say. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, we're, 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 we're pretty new. Our podcast is actually getting fairly popular, but the we just started YouTube channel, and we just kind of have a variety of guests, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really want to specialize in any one thing. I kind of like the variety. Mm-hmm. We cover, you know, like us, I think yesterday we had a UFO guy, Rich Hoffman, Amazing guy, amazing scientist, still works for the Department of Defense. Shows like that, but we're about to launch the Untold Radio Network. Cool. Wow. Hoping to bring in a number of shows like yours to well, do them, happen to be available. <laughs> to do them, to bring up the level of quality a bit, but to bring up the level of marketing and to be able to drop more programming to get more people to subscribe to the channel to hopefully get a greater monetization. So we're basically a a cooperative, you know, a coalition of podcasts. Um, So then we can all meet once a month and trade guests and share ideas and, you know, criticism and, you know, what can we do to just kind of all rise to get the cream rise? Because yeah, that sounds great. As, as, as you guys know, you guys look pretty damn good. Thank you. But there's there Thanks. are some pretty bad looking and um, podcasts I don't think that represent properly. Yeah, I understand not, what you're yeah. saying. <laughs> and here I was being potty mouth, which I'm normally never too potty mouth, but no I problem. was I was tonight. You say whatever you want. Hey, you say what you want on our show. That's fine. <laughs> I didn't get too bad, but anyhow, <laughs> I think I said frickin' one, so I, <laughs> I don't think tw- you did. <laughs> now twice? Anyhow. <laughs> Brian, what, Brian, what you got for Doug? You got anything for Doug? 
Yeah. Um, all good. Actually, I was going to ask you about the alien thing. You just brought up the the guy you just talked to. Do you do you believe in the? Oh God, yes. Oh God, yeah. yeah. That that for sure. I mean, it's a lot of anecdotal evidence, but we've had numerous. We happen to be in a real active area for UFOs, to the point where. I've had like researchers come here that have never seen a UFO and they'll be here 10 minutes and they have their first sighting. Wow. It's that bad here. Yeah. It's bad. Like it's bad. And of course we have all the elements. We have the big, huge power lines. We've got the lakes. We've got, um, I don't know what it is about this area, but it's, we, it's like the triangle here. It's so much activity that you can hardly go a night without a really decent UFO. Yeah, we got to get up there. <laughs> decent, you know, decent UFO sighting where you can do all you want on your satellite maps and your aircraft maps, and you can do everything you want, and you'll come up with zero, and then the UFO or whatever will usually come right over us, usually. <laughs> and we've seen pink ones, blue ones. Um, sparking ones, um, and the last ones we saw were peptal bismol pink. It's just wow. beautiful. I mean, they were just like the most gorgeous things I've ever. Just bizarre looking. Yeah. Because it's one light color you've never. It was almost a color you can't even. I don't even know how to describe it. I guess it was pinkish, but it was like hmm. a color I've never seen. And there were two of them, which was really cool. Wow. And of course, they. We were just a block away from my house, and they came right to the car, came right to the windshield, and then one zipped off and one blinked off. Wow. So, I mean, those are the kinds of sightings. We've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sightings like that. So, it's. Did you have you watched the. uh, Did you watch any of the NASA uh, congressional hearings? What did you think about those? Not really, only because I knew nothing would come out of them. And yeah, it's, I you know, so this, this fake bull crap. It's all fake bull crap, you know, in my book. Um, if anybody knows about UFOs, it's NASA. Um, I remember having dinner with the uh, head of Space Command once because a friend of mine was putting a museum on with a retired, you know, retired guy. And I did ask him at dinner, and I, I, I went, are there so – are UFOs real? And he goes, there are no UFOs. So they are identified. (laughs) (laughs) IFOs, huh? Then he went on to explain how accurate their um, space radar is. And he went on to tell me about, well, you could take a quarter 20 bolt, quarter 20, and we can count the threads on it. And I'm like, wow. Okay, so he didn't break any protocol. He said there are no UFOs. UFOs. But he emphasized you, which I thought was brilliant of him. Right. Oh, yeah. And then I dropped it. That's enough. That was great. That was the greatest answer I could have ever gotten. Yeah. Um, and um, so, yeah, no, I mean, I just couldn't imagine that we're not being visited or studied, at least. Yeah. I, I've seen so much craft. It isn't even funny. We've seen big ones, little ones. We've seen ones with, you know, eight lights, um, wow. seen ones that are classic saucer shaped that have like plasma going all around them. I mean, at 200 feet away, we've yeah. had sightings like that right here. Man. Um, the last I one I saw that was amazing was literally I was taking the garbage out. <laughs> and I went, I was like, Yvette, get out here now. And she saw it. But she Man. saw it right when it was. Doing the, you know, it, it it stayed there for just another two seconds and then blasted away. 
I need to start watching Skies more at night. I uh, don't pay attention. I'm out, I'm out my backyard every night. A lot of people don't. They don't, or they don't go out at the right time. You got to kind of commit. If you're going to go out, you can't go out at ten and stay to ten thirty. You got to need to kind of commit from ten to one, or ten to 20, ten to midnight. Um, I think they do come around more when there's less people up. That would make sense. Yeah, I think you have a, like a hundred hundredfold more chance of seeing one. Okay. Um, I think in the winter they tend to come out earlier in the in the day, which is weird. We've noted that, and then in like they'll be out at six o'clock in the winter time, but not till one or two o'clock in the summer. The other thing to look for is the great nights are just nice evenings. For some reason, there seems to be more activity when it's pleasant out. Hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. Oh yeah. I- I mean, it just makes sense if you're out doing whatever you're studying or whatever they're doing. Traveling around. Yeah, it's nicer to be outside when it's nice out. They have to be here to learn. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the most weird thing, we were um, on the deck, sunny day. We're just going to, I mean, it was a few, you know, nice little clouds up, friendly clouds. So we go on the deck, me and Yvette, we lay down, we're in our swimsuits, we oil up or put our lotion on. And she's looking at her phone or whatever, and I'm like almost out like a light. And all of a sudden, she starts screaming. This is broad daylight. And I'm like, if I look at her, and she's like, mm. and I turn my head slow because she's really, you can tell she's freaked. There's a UFO right by the deck rail sitting there, just broad daylight. It's blacker than black, and it's changing shape. It's going from triangle to oval, round. It's just doing it's like breathing. And it's wow. like a texture on the skin. And I grabbed my face. I said, don't do anything sudden. <laughs> I'm treating it like a living animal because I could see this like like respirating. So I grabbed my phone really careful and I you know, and I put my phone on and then scroll to the, you know, you get the settings. I put my video camera and it's rolling and I go like this and then they go. Oh, I did man. get footage of it. I got quite a bit of footage of it. Great. Fun. I've actually showed it on my podcast last night if you want to see it. Okay, we'll check it out. Yeah, I'll check and, it out. And so, and then we went in the garage to see if I gotten anything and I did. It was small because the footage you're going to see is blown up. Plus, I had to low-res it because I had to email it to my son so we could put it on the podcast. But another one comes shooting out of the water. So we went back out on the deck to see if we could see it again. And it came, another one, I, I, or it could have been the same one, came shooting out of the water and just headed straight to the clouds this time. How big wow. was it? I would say about four foot. It's not, I don't think it was manned. But it was like a pill shape. It was a very much a tic-tac or a pill-shaped. Wow. Shaped like a contact pill. And the other one was shaped like a contact pill, too. And then a diamond, and then a circle, and then a diamond, and then a contact pill. So you think most of these are like uh, just like spy drones, just like yeah, they've gotta be. surveillance? But here was, here, here was Yvette's story. Here's what was most interesting. She said that she didn't think much of it. She watched it go around our, our pine tree by our shore twice. Circle this pine tree. And I thought, well, that's interesting. So I thought, well, I'm going to go look at the pine tree. It's just a pine tree, but I'm going to look at it. Why would it go around a pine tree twice? There's millions of pine trees everywhere. So I go up to the pine tree. What do you think? 
what you, there was something very different about that pine tree. It was almost mad, something I've never even seen before. There was a, a parasitic tree that had grown around the trunk and was strangling that pine tree. I've never seen that with a pine. Huh. And it was like a, a maple that had gotten in there. In fact, it took me like two hours to get that parasitic tree out of there. And I said, Yvette, come look at this. I said, maybe this is why it was confused. <laughs> Probably. They're like, what is it's going on here? As good a guess as anybody's, wow. right? Yeah. 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 That's crazy. It was interesting. That's awesome. It might have been confused, and that's why it was circling. Then saw us on the deck and said, oh, I'll go check those mm-hmm. people out. We weren't naked, but we had our swim trunks, and we're covered with some kind of slimy, shiny oil. <laughs> like, what which, are those? Which may have looked real interesting. <laughs> I don't know. Who knows? That, that's know. crazy and kind of scary to think about. Like, that, man, that what there's, the? there's little spy drones out there for these for these well, here's, aliens, you know? So if I go on the deck now at night, I have to go alone because she will not go. She said, if that thing is that black... And it came that close to us during the day. What's it going to be like at night? Yeah, you'd never see it. Do you have a point? Do you have a point? But didn't do anything to us. You know, didn't. I could see if it did something to us. But she's still, yeah, she's still actually, that affected her. And then there were other things that's happened. She's been in, you know, up to Snell Grove where the cabin got attacked once. Um, and then, of course, that same trip, and I was like, damn it, we had an emergency landing. And then the guy got injured really bad, and we barely made it out of there. She's like, so she's not going to take any more trips with me after that. Not on a plane. <laughs> um, and, then, um, and then we were driving home on 35W one night, and we had some big wing thing swoop at us. And, you know, we both got a good look. She ducked. I ducked. Um, in the car, it just dropped out of the sky. You guys are into cryptids, right? Oh, yeah. So this thing drops out of the sky. It was a beautiful moonlit night. I even remember the song on the radio was um, uh, Vincent by um, Don McLean was playing on the radio. Okay. It's a beautiful night. We're just relaxing, enjoying the ride. Beautiful weather, full moon. And we see this thing just drop like a spider. With wings outstretched. We didn't know there were wings at that time, but we just saw this wide thing drop straight down and then immediately head for the car. So it drops down and goes like that, right on my windshield. Wow. And it came, huh. you know, within inches of the windshield. How big? It's wider than the freeway. That's, that's where the wheel is. Yeah. So it defied physics which opened my mind up a little bit more, opened my mind, completely defied physics, and then swooped at the windshield for what reason? To scare us? What was the purpose? To see it? look at you? I got a good look at it. Locked eyes. (laughs) Was it dark when this happened? Yeah, it was dark, but it was in the headlights of my car. Mothman, maybe? Didn't have feathers. It had shiny skin, like bat skin. Hmm. Hiccups. Um, Very gargoyle-like, but huge wings. You could see like the bones and the wings, just like you would in a bat, only giant. But it had a human-like face, pointed ears, um, brown skin, shiny. Every all the skin was shiny. Um, Wow. Don't know what it was. I have no idea. 
Does it fit the description of a lot of things that I've heard about? Yeah, it does. Yeah. We had numerous people, because we never saw it flap its wings, that have even written to me because of Monster Quest. I would I refused to do an episode on these flying humanoids until that sighting. I would not do it because I said, yeah, there's no evidence. There's nothing we can do. I, mean, I, I can't tell an hour story from just eyewitnesses. Right. But I ended up then I'm motivated to come up with some experiments and some things that we could do. And I found a, a, a man and his son had the same exact thing happen to him, literally right down the road. And said the only difference is they pulled over and threw up. We pulled over too because she was worried it was clinging onto the car still. Oh, and so we, we eventually there was a lit exit ramp and about a mile and a half away. And I she made me get up to that exit ramp, get out of the car and check the car. Wow. We'll have to watch they, that episode again. Yeah. Flying so, humanoids. Yeah, flying humanoids. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, yeah. So, we have. I mean, it's, it's not that uncommon. People see these. They're less likely. It takes more guts for me to report that than anything. Because everybody goes, oh, you just saw a crane. It was an owl. Yeah, it was a crane if the wings covered the width of the freeway. And it was a crane without feathers. And it was a brown crane. Yeah, we don't have bats that big in this country. It was a crane with a human-like head, <laughs> with pointed ears. And yeah, oh, yeah, good, good crane. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Doug, there's a ton of stuff we could go into and, and keep you here and talk for hours I could and talk hours. talk for but, hours. Uh, we, don't, we don't want to keep you too long. We really appreciate you coming on and, and talking with us uh, about oh, the things fun. you have tonight. And it's fun, guys. Maybe sometime we can get you back on and talk about some more stuff. And yeah, never, never short of any um, stories. Yeah. Right on. Well, we appreciate it again, and uh, you have yourself a Man, good night. This has been, yeah, I'm going to go amazing. watch some Monster Quest, I think. Uh, Sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> I am going to go watch that Untold episode. And Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to yeah, check yeah. out Mystery, Mysterious Encounters if I can find that, too. Yeah, you can find that. And if anybody wants to listen to our podcast, Untold Radio AM. Yep. Definitely. You can find it on YouTube or any place podcasts are found. Awesome. And I'm going to check your show out too, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, we would we'll appreciate send you a that. Link. We'll send you a link. Yeah, I, I really do. If, so, uh, you know, if it's good enough, maybe we can join your network. Yeah, we'll have to talk about that. That That'd sounds exciting. Yeah. Uh -huh. All right. Well, you keep your scientific head in the game and will. prove this existence for us, would you? Yeah, I mean, and we look forward to your documentary coming up. We know you're the man for the job. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> All right, man. Well, you have a good night. We'll All be right, in Doug, touch. We appreciate it. Thank you. All right, thank you, guys. See ya. You know, I kind of knew that Doug was into, like, a real scientific side of things with this, but he's 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 got his hands in a lot of stuff, and he knows a lot of, a lot yeah, of technology that, as far as that goes. Yeah, and that he was talking about with the, with the fingerprints and everything, that is, uh, I can't wait to see that. That's going to be a good documentary. Yeah, me too. Anything he does is, is great. And I'm going to check out that Mysterious Encounters, too. I don't know if I've seen that before or not, but I want, oh, yeah. I want to see that. Yeah, I'm going to check that out, too. And, of course, Monster Quest. Yeah, Monster Quest. <laughs> if you haven't watched Monster Quest, you guys got to check Monster Quest out. A great series about a lot of different cryptids and a lot of different things. Again, guys, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. Yes, and if you are enjoying the show and enjoying the content that we bring you please go like and comment on uh whatever platform it is you're you're listening on i yeah. appreciate we'd appreciate it that would help us out immensely 
Give us a rating. Give us a rating on your platform. Let us know what you think of the show. Right. And, uh, also, coming up soon, we're going to have our website to be released. So we're excited about coming that. Coming up pretty quick not too far away so you guys will be able to go on there and get extra episodes and become members and see all, a bunch of good content on there so we can't wait for that's that that's right thank you for being with that's me good. again tonight my friend always fun man always okay until next time yep see ya see ya